0: Today's scripture reading will be 1 Kings, Elijah 17, 1-7. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said said to Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And, he, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. This is the word of God. Okay. All right, good morning, church. My name is Stephen, one of the pastors at that city. You know, so um, I've, been, I've been here uh, preaching to a camera for a long time. <laughs> it's really good to talk to real people. So I'm going to have a lot of fun today. If you want to talk back to me, you can. I'll just speak over you. <laughs> but, but if you want to say, if you want to, uh, you know, affirm things, that's, that's cool with me. Um, oh man, I had a lot to say, but you know what? I think I got to get straight to the passage because it's going to be a while, right? Does anyone have to like immediately go somewhere after church? Like, except one? Okay, it's going to be extra long for you. (laughs) We're going to have a good time here. We're not in a rush. We're not like taped or, you know, we got to get a certain time. We're going to be real people today. And, uh, you know, as long as this pandemic thing's going on and there's a lot of restriction, but as long as we can get together, we're going to have some real, face-to-face time. All right. Um, those of you who've been here, we've been, you know that we're going through um, a sh- series called Heroes, and we're flipping that script because all the people that we're l- looking at in the Bible, it's particularly Old Testament, um, they, they're great in their own right, but they're not real, They're not your heroes. They all point to Jesus, who's the real hero, and today we're going to look at Elijah. We've been looking at all these amazing people in the Old Testament, now we, we are in Al- Elijah, and in fact... Man, if there's any particular human hero, he's it. He is like the great prophet, all right? If you think about Elijah, he plays a very significant role in the whole Bible, not only the Old Testament, and we're going to share some of that today, but in the New Testament too. If you remember um, uh, the Gospels, uh, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they, in the middle of the, of the Gospel, what you find is this thing called the transfiguration. In a sense, Jesus uh, takes uh, Peter, James, John to the mountain, you know, and then he just flexes his divine muscle. That's my interpretation. And then his glory just... And lo and behold, who do you see? You see Jesus in the middle, and then you see Moses... And Elijah is there out of all the people in the Bible, we get how Moses is there, but Elijah's there too. so this uh, Elijah is kind of significant, you know so so the question is, what is it about Elijah that he has the privilege to be next to Jesus and Moses? you know well, um, I had a difficult time trying to choose which passage to preach on because because Elijah, I'm telling you, he is, he is huge in the Old Testament. Because he usually there's like maybe a couple of blurs about some of these people, but for Elijah, there's eight chapters from First Kings chapter 17, what David read today, all the way to the end of First Kings, and then uh, to Second Kings, the next book, up to chapter two. So that's eight chapters is where Elijah is is uh, his narratives there. And uh, if, you have, if you just do a cursory v- review of what Elijah did, man, he did some fantastic things. I mean, uh, some people are going to preach on uh, this topic today where uh, Mount Carmel, where he is fighting against uh, 450 Baal prophets versus one guy, and he destroys them. And then you see miracles and miracles and all kinds of things that he does uh, in between. And the, and, and the climax of Elijah, do you remember this? The guy doesn't die. he just gets whisked into heaven in a whirlwind so you know there's a lot of stuff that we can uh, talk about and uh so so i had a hard time figuring out what we talk about so i decided to just go in the beginning that's why in chapter 17 just want to give you the introduction who elijah is and i think we glean a lot of things from his life um you know, Pastor Finn mentioned when he was talk, speaking about uh, Rehoboam, remember? Rehoboam is not popular because, again, I don't know if you have any friends who are And because he didn't end very well. I would assume you will know a lot of Elijahs. We know some celebrities and maybe athletes who are Elijahs and because he ends really well. <laughs> that's a very popular name. And if you have kids uh, in the future now, you may want to call him Elijah because that's, that's a great name to have, all right? Um, all right. So anyway, let me um, uh, 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 go through this message this way. I, I like points. I like three points. I want, I want to talk about the context of Elijah uh, so we can see how he got into this picture. After we see the context, um, I want to show you that he had to get trained to do ministry. And here's the thing. After you get trained, God just doesn't release him. You know what happens after training? A test. So let's look at that. So we're going to see his context. We're going to see the how he got trained, and also the testing. And after he got tested, then he was released for ministry. All right. Number one, the context of Elijah. Now, before Elijah came on the scene, um, he was. Uh, there, because there was a, another king called Ahab. He was reigning in Northern Kingdom. And again, if you remember last week and the weeks before, after Solomon, uh, the, the kingdom, Israel, has been split into two. Jeroboam took the first 10 tribes and he became the king of north. And then um, Rehoboam took the south, which was uh, Judah and Benjamin. So that's the scenario. Now, in the Northern Kingdom... King Ahab was the king. Now, uh, I want to go back and read a chapter before 17. So let me read some verses towards the end of chapter 16 to help set this context here. All right, uh, verse 30 says, Ahab, son of Omri, and that's what we're talking about, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel daughter of Ith-Baal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve other Baals and worship him, worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, and he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel before him. And so it is in this context when... So Ahab... I would assume you don't have too many friends who are Ahab's too, because that's also not a very pleasant name. And, of course, his wife Jezebel. So you get all that, right? So they, they are in power in the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, Ahab, um, pardon me, Elijah comes on the scene. And, in fact, if you think about Elijah, uh, if you look at northern kingdom right after Rehoboam, you can count. And there Ahab is the seventh king in that line. And if you think about it, those, and and it says Ahab did more evil than all the other kings preceding him. So you got seven consecutive ineffective, quote, evil leaders. And so Ahab, you know, he's a a summary of that. So if you think about seven failed administrations in the northern kingdom, what does God do? Because Israel still... God's people. What does he do? God doesn't raise up an army to get rid of all the bad people and and vote them out. What he does is instead, God raises up one person to take a stand. That's the context. That's what's going on. And speaking of that, I think about this. If there's any one hero in our book, in my book, I know for me and for many of you, it is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Last weekend, we celebrated his birthday and the whole weekend. And what we know about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is that God raised up one man, one man who came in the name of love, right? And he came and he was able to lead a movement to do what? To stand down against the inequalities that existed in America. He's, he, God raised this one man up to do what? To fight injustice that is in America, to inspire actually this movement so, such that even today's is happening so that we will really learn how to love one another. God raised that one man of God. And this is, this is um, uh, very important. And so what we did in our family last weekend is uh, to 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 continue to teach our next generation. My, uh, with my kids and my and my family unit, we got together and we watched that famous "I Have a Dream" speech. And I will tell you, I don't know about my kids, but they, but I was I was moved because it was just as powerful as you could see you see on TV um, uh, on video as it was, I'm sure when it was originally uh, delivered. So. Here's the point. God raised up this man to take a stand in our country. In the same way, this is exactly what God did with Elijah. He raised up one man to stand down against one king, Ahab. And that's the context. All right. Before I continue here, let me say a little bit more about Elijah uh, to f- uh, uh, fill up the context in verse 1. This is how we're introduced. Okay, and at this point, you don't know anything about him. But... This is, this is how we're introduced. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tishbe in Gilead. That's all we know. Very random, all right? Just, just a very simple sentence. And, 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 and if you think about this, it's quite puzzling because for a man who's going to be so prominent in the Old Testament narrative, and I showed you how important he is in the New Testament, when he's introduced, <laughs> we see this... This skeletal introduction. You know, in other words, you see, this is his resume. It's not very impressive, by the way. It's not very impressive. Show us this map. Where is Tishbe? Tishbe is a tiny little village right outside east of Jordan, it says, you know. And it's like a country town, a little village called Tishbe. That's why he's a Tishbeite. And, uh, and it says it's in the mountains of Gilead on the east side of the Jordan River. And you see that he was born and raised in a Jewish family, but we don't know anything about uh, his parents, their upbringing. We know nothing about his childhood. We know nothing about his life. And most probably, most likely, Elijah uh, uh, had no education, no formal schooling or rabbinical school or anything like that. He was in the country. (laughs) He lived in a village. And then that's all we know about him. And so here's this man from obscurity, from nowhere, really. And he comes on the national scene and he confronts King Ahab, who has almost like authoritative power. And he says this, let me finish verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, and this is what what uh, Elijah says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives... Whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain the next few years except for my word. That's the message. Very bold message. And so Elijah comes on this national scene and then he gets straight to the point. He drops a judgment for Israel. And the judgment is you are not, you're gonna have no rain. And so, you know what's happening? This is very serious, because Elijah is calling for an economic shutdown, like for real. Now, you think the pandemic that we're going through is bad. It is bad. But in the ancient Near East, especially in an agrarian society, if there is no rain, that means it's like going through a pandemic without a $2 trillion relief package for you. It's worse than that. It is like no rain means starvation no rain means there's literally an economic collapse in other words you can't get money out of your atm anymore there you can't fill up your gas tank the value of your money it'll be inflated to such ridiculous rate it it means nothing you think the stores are suffering. The restaurants might close down. Well, guess what? No rain means it is completely and permanently gone. So it was a, a very bad, not wise judgment call on uh, Elijah's pa- part, but that was the judgment for Israel. Now, after God drops the judgment, what does he do? He takes Elijah and uh, maybe for his, for his uh, lively sake, he hides him. And uh, he, because Elijah has to run for his life, because Ahab will be after him to kill him. But that may be the reason why he had to be whisked away. But but there's a, there's an important more uh, lesson here. What God wants to do is he takes Elijah and he wants to prep him, prepare him for something great. Because God wants to do something amazing through him, so he takes him away into this uh, area. Now, before I continue, let me just stop and talk to the church here. Do you realize that every one of you sitting here and people who are watching and, you know, who are part of S-City and just church in general, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, did you know that God has a calling, a special calling for each and every one of you? Did you know that? Um, God didn't Save you and give you the gift of Jesus just to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. That is just a given. And we are so thankful for that. But don't get stuck there. The reason why he has saved you and brought you to church so that he can give you his vision and, and, and in a sense, send you out in his mission. And you know what his mission is? It's very simple. To seek and save the lost. That's exactly what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. And, uh, and that's that. And so, and so here, here's my point, but just like Elijah, uh, you know, you want to do his will. You may have the desire to be part of what God is doing. And he has tapped some of you for specialized, maybe uh, church ministry or whatever. Right. But every one of us has a part. He has called us to be part of what he's doing in the world. Just like Elijah. However, listen very carefully. But most of you, all right, are not ready for that. Most of you are not ready to do what he asks. You know why? Because point number two, training. You have not been trained. Or maybe I would most likely say you are in training right now, being prepped in preparation that God wants to do through you and it's going to be amazing. But you're not there yet. And that's how it is at this point. Look, look at the training part for Elijah. And there are a lot of things I could say, but I want to point out two things. Two things that God is doing with Elijah to prepare him for something Awesome. Let me look read verses 2 and 3. I'll continue in this narrative. Verse 2 says, And the Lord of the Lord came to him. That is Elijah. All right? Remember, he dropped the bomb, the judgment, and then he whisked him away. Verse 3, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kerith, which is east of Jordan. So if you see that map, uh, uh, there's Kerith. There's brook Kerith right up there near his hometown. Now, I want to say a word about this, this, this area. Etymologically, do you know what that means? That means if you break down the word. I can't say that word. But anyway, if you break down the word kareth in, in um, Hebrew, what you'll find is the, the meaning of that word is almost like cut down. It means chopping, like, you know, if you chop wood, right? You get an ax and you chop. That's what the brook, the name of that brook is called, kareth, which means... A, It's a symbolic, actually, symbolic meaning that God is sending him to that place, and he's saying, Elijah, I'm sending you there to this brook by yourself so I could break you, so I can cut you down, so I can humble you. Isn't that something? Um, and, And this place that God takes Elijah, it's not a vacation time. We don't even know how long he's supposed to be there, but God said go. And he goes to this isolated, lonely place. Um, And it's going to be a place of pain. And he's going to be by himself, called Kareth. Now, why does God do that? Why does he have to... Aren't there better ways to prepare someone to do amazing ministry, like take you to seminary? Encloister yourself, study books. I mean, I love that stuff. That's what I did. I love being prepared. It was comfortable and nice. <laughs> but but the, when, when God does it, it's very different. He takes you to this place of pain, suffering, loneliness, right? Why? Well, the answer is this. It's always like this. You can look all throughout the Bible, and what you find is that because he has something significant for you to do... He wants to prepare you. And, and the step one in, in doing something for God is that you got to be broken. Oh. Do you hear this? Church, listen, listen very carefully. The reason why I said, yeah, we all want to jump into what God wants us to do. We're all, our hearts are there. You have good hearts. You wanna, you, of course you want to do God's will. But I have said a lot of us are not ready. And here's why. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, and in fact, I know some of you are experiencing this right now. You're experiencing a lot of setbacks in your life. And you wonder what's going on because you're saying, I know that God has called me. I know God has put me in a certain trajectory. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm doing my best. You know, I hear stuff, I, I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm serving. You know, I'm doing whatever I need to do, right? Being faithful to God, but I'm not getting the breaks. You know what I mean? God is not opening the doors that I feel like I should be doing, what's going on, God? And a lot of you are stuck. Not only that, not only are you being the best Christian as you can, but, but things happen like COVID and you get sick or you're, you get health setbacks, you know, and you get poor health and, and so you get anxiety, you get vertigo, maybe you get cancer and you're like, how am I supposed to serve God now? You feel like, you feel like God has abandoned you, hmm? And so, so as you're going through this, because you are so committed to God, and yet nothing's happening, what do you do? Before you give up on God, listen very carefully. What's happening is God is taking you to your personal, private Carth, the brook. He's isolating you. That's what he's doing. What God is doing is he's taking your grandiose understanding of what you think God wants you to do, but bring you to reality, and God is lovingly and privately, what he's doing is he's humbling you. He's teaching you how to be obedient, even as these things are happening. And oftentimes, it stinks. It is lonely. It is dry. It is arid. Most often, it it is confusing time. It really is. But well, let me tell you one thing. If you're going through that, you must remember through Elijah here that God is not abandoning you. And he hasn't abandoned Elijah. He has not abandoned you. But what's going on is that he's training you. You get this? I know you hate it, but that's what's going on. He's training you. He doesn't hate you or desert you. He's preparing you for something Awesome! You know, uh, those of you who have been part of this S City journey, we've been here around two years. And then, and then, uh, uh, you know, people ask, how could God be doing all these forward type of movements, movements in the church, even during a pandemic? And, and I tell you, when people ask me that, I kind of wonder too. And I'll step back and say, wow, how, how are these things happening? And I have to remind myself and I'll remind others that, our church, the way it is now and the way it's going to go forward didn't just happen two years ago when we planted this church. Rather, I was reminded by God that, that he took me, he took us to a place of in the in, at a different church way back in 2010. That was about 10 years ago. And when during that time... In that different church, it was a confusing place. It was a lonely place. It was a dry, arid place. And those of you who have been with us on that journey, you totally understand what I'm talking about. We were there. And you know what he was, God was doing during that time when we were at that place? He was training us. Did you know that? And let me tell you, right now, our story is not done. It's actually being written right now. And I hope that we're going to uh, move forward uh, as we move out of the season of Careth I don't want to be here any more longer, Lord. Please move us out of this place. <laughs> Let us move forward. What is the next step? The next step, uh, or the next season of after you get broken sufficiently. If you're not broken, He'll say, "No, not yet. Come back. I'll break you more." <laughs> he say, "Okay, mercy, mercy. I'm broken." Then you know what happens next. The next season, the next season is season of. Total dependence. That's a whole different thing. Look at verses 4 through 6. He continues, you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Careth, That is the east of the Jordan. Oh, man, check this out. Verse 6. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Let me tell you something. God created Uber Eats and DoorDash before there was ever one, right? Where's Hank? Yes? Anyway, I'm not sure if he's here. <laughs> think about this, man. If you think about this, Elijah had this heavenly catering service. He didn't even order. He, it just was brought to him. Um, I don't know, oh well, man, I want to spend like 10 minutes trying to imagine how this happened, but you can imagine, you know, you're eating and the ravens come steal your food, <laughs> and it's just every day that's happening, and Elijah's there in the middle of a drought, famine, you know what he's doing? He's getting large, because <laughs> he's, he's eating meat, man, and he's eating well, and not only that, if you think about this, he's drinking from the brook, did, you, did I tell you there's a drought? There are no more water left. But look at Elijah. He's doing pretty good. He gets to eat and drink. Can you believe this? For most of us, no, you cannot. Do you know why you can't believe this? Because it's never you never experienced it. That's why. To totally depend on God. Do you think we just all of a sudden wake up and say, God, I believe you. I trust you. Uh, you want me to walk on water? Yeah, right. I mean, really, we don't, we won't do that. Because intellectually, we know we're supposed to believe what happened to Elijah. We know we're supposed to believe that God can do anything. And, and I hope you do. But there's another thing to actually do it and believe that he will. And you letting him do it, that's a whole different thing. Um, Kenneth Bay is a pastor in Seattle, Uh, In 2012, he took a group of his church people to do missions. That's great. But you know where he took them to? North Korea. Uh, uh, You might have uh, heard of this story. Well, the long story is that he got caught, and he was uh, accused of overthrowing Pyongyang regime, and he was sentenced to 15 years of hard labor in the prisons of uh, the the camps in, in North Korea. Now, uh, my wife Hensu and I, we actually heard him speak because, to make a long story short, he did get released. And so, at a missions conference, he was actually sharing that story, and we were just riveted. It's like, wow, you you gotta be kidding. And all the stories that he told of North Korea, what was happening, he was in that camp. And one of the things that I remember him telling is, is this. You know, yeah, you do hard labor and stuff. And, and really, North Koreans, they didn't know what to do with him. So part of his uh, daily routine was, was like this. Like, he was supposed to stay in this, you know, like cylinder room and just stay there like this for about eight hours. If you move, uh, <laughs> if you like to, if you just move your head. Uh, <laughs> so next day, go to the other side <laughs> like this for eight hours. <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous stories like that, just to show you that they didn't know what to do with this guy. I mean, that's, that's part of the punishment. But one of the stories that he told was that during that time, he realized he had a lot of time to talk to God. So as he's like this for eight hours or so, he's talking to God. And one day he realized, man, he misses food. He wants some food. He said, Lord, he's Korean, right? So he says, Lord, um, I would love to have some home-cooked sundubu jjigae. You know what that is? That is tofu soup. Nice, hot. It's lunchtime almost. Oh, man, I'm getting there. And he's like, yeah, you know. Like that is mama's home cooked food. And just to have a taste of that, oh, it would be heavenly. And you know what happened? He got sundubu jjigae. So he ate it up. So another time, he's standing there again. He said, that was so good how about some kimchi jjigae, <laughs> kimchi stew. And guess what? He got it again. <laughs> I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Oh, that was fun. He had, I'm sure he became, just like Elijah, I think he, he was the fattest guy coming out of North Korea <laughs> after he got released. But he didn't look skinny. He didn't look uh, like he, he was emaciated from, to me. But anyway, you see what God was doing? It was not only hilarious, but here's the point. Many of you believe that God can do these things. You know, we hear about Kenneth Bay. I have no reason that he's lying. You know, you hear legit testimonies of what God can really do and have done with people. But the question is, have you experienced that provision for you? That is the million-dollar question, you see. And let me tell you something. Most of us have not. That's why we're not ready to go out. Here's the problem in the, in, the, in the West, Western church like ours. You know, I love the fact that we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion. This is great, and it's a blessing. But the problem is we don't rely on God any longer because we have everything, don't we? We don't have to rely on his provision. We don't have to rely and pray for food. Man, we just get our money. We go. You know, some of you are going to have lunch afterwards, which is fine. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. We got enough stuff. You need internet, forget it. We got 5G, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to be stuck to wires anymore. Anything that you need, we have at our fingertips, is fine. And that's the problem. We don't need God's provision. Yes, you know God. You need spiritual food. We're going to give you spiritual food. We're going to give you Bible study, prayer. Inside, spiritually, you are like obese, and that's cool. <laughs> you got all the spiritual food you need. But well, the problem is we don't exercise it in providential faith because we don't need him. <clears throat> but but we, in order to be ready to, to be used by God like Elijah, who is still in chapter 1, We're still in his context. We're still trying to do talk about him, how he became the hero, how he was able to do amazing things. But he's not there yet, guys. He is still in training, learning, provision. He had to be out there. When you're in drought, when you have no more money, when you have nothing left, you're out there. You have to rely on God. You have to pray. You have to ask. You know, some of you are part of S-City. I talk about the mall that we're gonna have. How are we gonna get that mall? And then we're not gonna take a loan. <laughs> I'm gonna pray. We're gonna be I'm I'm getting us out there because this is what God tells us. A lot of us are not there. I'm not there yet. I get it. But let me, here's the point. This is Elijah's training. And 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 notice what he did. He gave food. Enough provision for how long? Only one day. For breakfast, you fast lunch, you have some water from the brook, and then you have a nice meal, dinner. You wonder, tomorrow is it going to be the same? I don't know. Am I, are the birds going to come? I don't know. But guess what? Day after day, it was the pattern. You know why that was important? Because that taught Elijah, I can trust my God. I can trust him. Every day, he, Elijah learned that God is faithful. Every day he knew that God will provide. Isn't that something? So that was the end of his training, guys. <laughs> he had to be broken. If you're not broken enough, go back to the brook, get broken again. And then you got to start exercising. God is going to keep providing you. But the caveat is that you need him. You need everything from him. Not just what you have. you got nothing. You really have to ask. And he has to supernaturally provide. Now, if you get that, now you're ready. Almost. Third point. God trains us and gives us real tangible lessons. All right? We need to learn that. But now, what he does is, because he loves you so much, and he wants to make sure you don't flake out for his kingdom, he's going to test you. He's going to test you to see if you really learn this stuff. All right? So look at verse 7. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. (laughs) Listen, if you always had provisions, money's coming in and food's coming in, life is good and all of a sudden it stops. What is our first instinct? God, what's wrong with you? Right? What is the purpose of God doing this? Why does he sometimes stop the flow of blessing why does all of a sudden when everything's going good hell happens tomorrow why why would he source dry up that source of blessing of because we all need water and here's the thing god often causes brooks to dry up why not that because he doesn't love you so that he can he can test you so you can muster up and have the courage to go where you're supposed to go next. Because without this, you're going to be in that brook forever and ever. You're never going to leave, right? That's just the way it is. So listen very carefully. God guides by what he does not provide. Don't you hate that? <laughs> you think as long as God provides is good. No, sometimes too much blessing is not good, and God knows that. He loves you so much, he'll stop everything. So he guides you by what he does not provide. Let me tell you something. All right, chapter 17, I didn't do the rest, but I'm going to just fast forward and go through the rest of the stories because this is what testing looks like. In the rest of the story, show the map. So now he's at the brook. You know where it got, because there's no more water there. He tells God, uh, Elijah to go to Zarephath which is the north side. And as he is going to Zarephath, he, uh, he sees a woman who's collecting sticks, all right? And so God tells him, all right? And then he says, um, um, so, so, so Elijah goes to this woman and says, can you, I'm hungry, <laughs> first thing, I'm hungry, because he's been eating this whole time, you know? Oh, I'm hungry. Can you make me some cake? And this lady's like, Anyway, she could say a lot of things. But what she said nicely in the Bible is that I want to have enough flour. I want to have enough oil to left. Because, you know, by the way, we're all in a famine, right? I'm just going to get the sticks. I'm just going to cook one more cake for me and my son. And after that, we'll have no more food left. And we're just going to wait to die. All right? (laughs) And Elijah says, okay, but before you die, can you just make me cake first? (laughs) And if you have anything left, then you feed you and your son. And by the way, if you do that, your flour will never run out. The oil will never run out. And to make a very long story short, she actually did it. She, she went back. She made uh, his portion. He ate it, probably gobbled it down. And the thing was, it never ran out. The time, we don't know how long it was, but it was enough length of time to say, wow, wow. God does provide, all right? Um, How does that that happen? Elijah actually, by faith, was able to speak that truth. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I don't know if you and I would have the guts to do that. I mean, if I were Kenneth Bay, I think I would because I've experienced it. But right now, I don't know that length of hunger or to the extent of hunger that can still ask God uh, for you to sacrifice your stuff for me so that God could bless you. I'm not sure if I could do that. But if you experienced it, if I experienced it, just like Kenneth Bay did and Elijah, you can. But see, that's testing, right? Uh, Another time later, after the testing, you're like, woohoo, I'm good. I got faith. I can go. God says, no. Check this out. The widow and the son, who's been eating very well, all of a sudden the son gets sick, and you know what he does? The son dies. Not sick, but D-I-E-D, died, past tense. Now, this is interesting because, because when God was teaching Elijah and training him, there was nothing in the playbook about how to get a dead person alive again. You know what I mean? There was no, like, this is completely new. Elijah never had training for this. So what does he do? What we find towards the end of 1 Kings chapter 17 is that he, you know, he has to be cool. He's the, he's the prophet. He calmly brings the son to the upper room. And then he, you know, asked to be alone, asked the woman to leave. And then in verse 20, he freaks out. Look at verse 20. And he cried to the Lord, oh, Lord, my God, you have brought calamity upon the widow with whom I serve soldier by killing her son. He said, God, you killed the son. What's wrong with you? right? I mean, think about this. God has provided all this all, your, all the time, and you're learning, you're getting humbled. He's provided you, showed you miracles, and something like this happened. You say, God, what's wrong with you? I'm going to leave you. Would you? A lot of people have, because they couldn't understand. I mean, like, you know, okay, uh, you know, you lose, you lose that, you lose your house, whatever, but if someone you love dies, now that is where God crosses the line, doesn't he? What are you going to do? A lot of people say, I'm done with Christianity. That's a test, by the way, saints. If you are in Christ and you find these kind of situations, it's not that God hates you or he's trying to do something like punish you for your past sins. No. He's testing you. All those years of prayers, God, I'll follow you everywhere I go, fasting I'll do whatever do you, really will you sometimes God loves you so much these things happen it's a test so what does elijah do he stretches himself on the boy look at verse 21 then he stretched upon the child three times now now you know this is my own commentary again not only is elijah freaking out and he just doesn't know what to do he's making things up now, do you know how to get someone uh, who's dead back alive? If you go to a funeral, do you know how to get that person alive? Don't do it, by the way. They'll put you in a mental hospital. <laughs> but for Elijah, he's like, let me try resting on him. <laughs> he's just making stuff up because he has, nobody taught him how to do this. But he just made stuff up. It's not working. But he finally got it right. He started to pray. He said, oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. That's all he needed to do. He just need to pray. He just needs to ask God in the same way he did prior to his testing and how God provided everything, right? And guess what happened? Verse 22, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. That, that's a miracle. Listen, nothing like that has ever happened at that time in the Old Testament. We get a glimpse of that in the, with Lazarus and ultimately Jesus and ultimately after that we will be revived the second resurrection but that's another story but this is new <laughs> who taught Elijah how to do this nobody he had he was tested and Elijah he did okay this is important now that verse 24 is the last verse in chapter 17 and now, chapter 18, 19, 20, all the way to 2 Kings 2, then you see him rocking. You see him doing some amazing stuff. All right? Let me, let me land this thing, because I think I'm really way over. Am I over? Yeah. <laughs> hey, he said, hurry up! <laughs> this is the second time I to this message. I told you the second one's gonna be longer than the first. But anyway, I'm almost done. Um, what's the result of this training? The reason why I spend a little time on verse 1, because here's this country boy from Tishba, um, obscurity. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Random. But now, after all this, what I've shared with you, in verse 24, the last verse, look what we see. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you're a man of God. Hmm? You see? And that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is true. So here is before Elijah, just a country guy who had a little bit of faith. Now you see him as the man of God who's going to do some extraordinary things, who's going to stop the drought just by calling it out by, by uh, fighting 450 Baal prophets and destroying them by courageously calling out Ahab over and over again and also his son at the, at the, at the uh, dramatic cost of his life. And he also was able to disciple and, and provide a successor, Elisha. And ultimately, do you know what happens to Elijah? Like I said, he doesn't die, but he gets um, whisked into heaven in a whirlwind. I mean... You don't just get there overnight. You have to go through some stuff. So what does all that mean? He is making of a hero. How does that apply to us today? Let me end with one verse. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the Apostle Paul looks at the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth had the same problem. There were a lot of issues. And they were like, I'm about to desert the faith, you know? A lot of issues in that current Corinthian church. And what Paul says towards the end, Paul says this, Church, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Do you really have faith? Examine yourself. He says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? In other words, Paul is reminding you, church the Corinthian church, and you, that the reason why why you can continue to go is because you're in this process of faith. But the reason why you can endure like Elijah because Jesus Christ gives you that faith in you. He died so that you can not just go to heaven, but have that faith birthed in you so you can have courage to do impossible things on his behalf. And so he has given you all the tools and access. Jesus Christ has given you faith. Examine your hearts. Are you, are you like one step away from leaving the faith because things ain't going right according to how you think your Christian life should be? A lot of people are. That's why right now, the highest pro- pro- uh, proportionality of people are called the nuns. And, uh, not the nuns, you know. Anyway, N-O-N-E-S. People who, who says, none of the above. I, I'm no longer affiliating with church, religion, denomination. I'm done with it. Why? Because they left. Why? They didn't examine their faith. Their faith didn't take them to the next step. They said, I'm done. Please don't do that. God has given us all the tools and access in Jesus Christ to be heroes in our own way because he has a specific calling for every one of you. And if you want to fulfill that and see what that looks like, Be part of this thing, this church, because that's what we're all about. I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to give us a mall for free. I'm calling it out. I'm telling you right now. (laughs) I have faith. He's going to... Anyway, that's enough right now. (laughs) That's all I have faith for. Do you know what I mean? He's going to... I don't know what he's going to... You guys are going to... Ooh, man, I wish I could prophesy. I want to see presidents come out of this place. Thank you, Kamala Harris. I want to see more people of color becoming presidents and all that, right? I mean, you guys are going to be incredible move, people of uh, create movements, be part of movements and, and change the world. First, we start with Nassau County. You're going to serve like you never did before. You're going to love and pray, and, and this place can be the most diverse. People are going to know that we're uh, Christians, by the way, we love one another. And it's not just white people loving white people, Asian people loving Asian, Spanish. No, when we all really love and serve each other. Okay, now I'm going to a different sermon, so I'm going to stop because it's going to be another hour. <laughs> okay. All right. In the meanwhile, uh, Joshua, would you just come? You need five minutes. I can do an extra five minutes of talking, but let me just pray right now. But I want us to kind of close this out with, I don't know what you heard. Probably heard a lot of stuff, but whatever you heard, examine your faith, uh, the Apostle Paul says. I don't know where you are, but man, I don't want you to leave. I do not want you to leave him because no matter how uncomfortable uh, it may be, you're in the exact place where God needs you to be right now. And he's given you all the resources, love, faith to endure. And that's why we as the people of God are gonna surround you, we're gonna love you, we're gonna make sure you get there, all right? That's what we're uh, uh, signed up to do and we promise to do that. So, what I want to do is I just want to pray for you, and then, um, you know, Joshua and the team are going to close us out, but let's just pray. Let's just go before God. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that we can have this sweet, intimate time in church, you know, uh, just to share, just to love each other, just to hear what you want to say to us today. What is it are you saying, oh God? Some people... Are are like Elijah and saying, Man, I'm so glad I'm I'm exercising my faith. Others are just the beginning of the journey and wondering what it's going to look like. But Lord, I, I assume there's a lot in the middle of that journey who are being tested right now and so utterly confused of why they are going through what they're going through right now. And they're confused, they don't know what to do. They might leave the faith, they might just play games and they're not going to be 100% in for you, I pray, oh God, would you have mercy on them? Would you uh, provide what they need at this point? Would you even supernaturally come upon them and reveal yourself to them, whoever they are? Thank you, God, that uh, you are faithful. You You have showed us without a shadow of a doubt that your provision for our church is more than what we could ever, ever comprehend. And you've done that over and over again. And we thank you for that. Instill in us that faith. Jesus, give us that faith. It's a gift that comes from you. Give it to us so that we can do amazing things for you because that's what you want us to do. Thank you, Father, for this gift of salvation, this gift of faith that we could spread it and share it with everyone that we meet. Lord, restore us, revive us today from dead to life. In Jesus' name we pray.